Welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Steph Fairbairn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. This episode, our guest is Ben Franks. He's a coach developer, PhD candidate, lecturer, and very recently was announced as first team coach at Ebbs Fleet Women. A key focus of Ben's research is ecological dynamics. I caught up with him to find out what that means, how it can be applied in a football context, and what key takeaways there are for coaches, particularly when designing their sessions. Ben, welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. Cool. Thanks for having me. Really nice to be invited on. No, really great to have you. Um, Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit, I guess, the lowdown of you and your your football story and what your current roles are? Yeah, so I guess my route into football is a bit more, well, more recently is a bit more non-traditional. So I was a very, very average non-league footballer. Played in kind of those like the national youth conference when I was at college as part of like some of that kind of non-league scholars program and dotted around a couple of clubs in the non-league scene. And as as all bang average non-league footballers, I got horribly injured two years in a row and then just packed up playing them together. Um, I was probably never actually good enough, <laughs> but but I'll blame the injuries. So so my routine football kind of stemmed from there, but I'd always been interested in coaching. Um, kind of anyway from when I was pretty young um, and then I, I went down the route of, of university for my coaching rather than the more traditional route of kind of national governing bodies so I did my undergraduate at Oxford Brookshire Universities did my postgraduate research degree so a master's by research doing loads of stuff with professional goalkeepers so looking at kind of what the elite goalkeepers look at when they're kind of engaged and skilled saving actions so kind of I tried to marry the two kind of university and football as best as I could. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of bounced around a few other universities. I worked at UCFB in Wembley, kind of in the football coaching and management courses there. Worked at Canterbury Christchurch for a couple of years, which is why I'm still doing my PhD at the moment. And then now I'm back at Oxford Brookshire University as a lecturer in applied coaching science. And as of yesterday, I'm now first team coach at Ebbsfleet United Women in Tier 5, but previously was again a lot of non-league men's clubs and Gillingham women in tier three congratulations you know I obviously before this interview I was like I'll just double check his twitter bio and I was like was that there before when we started chatting so yesterday that's amazing congratulations thanks a lot thanks a lot all right I'm going to loop us back around to a question about that later on but um I wanted to ask you know you you spoke there about university rather than coaching badges through the through the national bodies was there was there something behind that decision that made you want to do it that way um I'm not not really I mean I did my level one and level two I did my level one whilst I was still playing and did my level two whilst I was doing my undergraduate but then I I kind of when I did my master's I prioritized that over getting onto my b license just because the demands were huge for my master's it was like tough balancing study and working full-time as I was at the time uh, and coaching around that. So I think I just prioritised my academic stuff just because I probably saw, as all coaches know, a more secure job route through university rather than just coaching. And 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 like I became really interested in the academic side of things when I was doing my undergraduate. 
So that probably had a quite a big influence as well. And, and being able to get access to, to really elite environments and kind of couple that with research, because that was kind of my biggest complaint with football was there was such limited kind of applied research. But so I wanted to try and do something which was really real and really grounded in real football contexts, but then had that kind of academic research rigor that supported it. So that's, I guess that's kind of why I went the university route rather than prioritizing kind of the NGB uh, perspective. So tell us then, because I know a lot of your research is into ecological dynamics and um, I guess just explain to us what, what that phrase means, if you can. Yeah. Um, how long you got? Um, so ecological dynamics is a rough, like is a theoretical framework which explains motor behaviour and skill adaptability. So it's, it's a nice way to, to explain why skilled performers behave the way they do and then how we can kind of enhance that learning process that underpins that so traditionally we've viewed kind of skill learning from kind of the old school kind of schema theory and representations and mental models and that's kind of been the traditional way of understanding things which tends to cover in cover in school in psychology and I think the like P um but ecological, ecological dynamics is a bit more um interaction focused so it views the the organism or the human and the environment as being like mutually coupled so we are prospective in a sense that we are like coupled to that environment rather than being like some kind of predicting machine we are just in tune with what happens around us and we kind of act and exist by staying in touch with that kind of information that surrounds us so it's founded on this kind of direct perception thing where what we but this is kind of where my research and the goalkeeper stuff links was what we perceive kind of if we take kind of visually as, as an example what we perceive visually we are sensitive to so we don't need to build or like take pictures and like store pictures like some kind of memory bank in our brain our, our kind of our perceptual system so our brain eyes body is kind of coupled to certain parts of that information field that we can see and that's then how we act from our goalkeeper stuff we saw that elite goalkeepers they didn't look at things the same way every time so the the context was we set them up in like 1v1s with an attacker and a goalkeeper we put eye tracking glasses on a goalkeeper so we could see where their kind of retina was resting um and, and what we saw was that goalkeepers have quite a fair bit of variability in terms of what they're looking at so whilst they might quite consistently look at the ball the timing of when they look at the ball changes based on the demands around them and we also found that faster goalkeepers the so goalkeepers that could literally move faster tended to look more towards the ball because they could wait longer and then they were sensitive to information from the ball which is more kind of i guess more telling of where the ball's going to go but because they're quicker they can wait longer for that information to kind of emerge Whereas slower goalkeepers, and by slower, we're talking like fractions of a millisecond. But slower goalkeepers tended to look at this area called the visual pivot, which is uh, around the knee of the kicking leg. So they fixate there because you can pick up lots of kind of periphery information sources, like the rotation of the hip and the, the angle that the leg is extending and that kind of stuff. So it's less specific information, but they have to use that because they have to move earlier because they are slower. So we see this kind of real reciprocal coupling between the goalkeepers and the environment they're placed in and that then has quite significant effects on their behavior and, and how they go around controlling their actions 
rather than it being kind of this one size fits all uh, approach that perhaps has been seen traditionally. I just, uh, I'm not a goalkeeper, but I was goalkeeping at a fair on Sunday and I was, because I was so slow, I was like looking and looking in their eyes for any indication and then just missing every save. So when you, when you were explaining that, I was like, I'm glad you weren't tracking me uh, for that experiment. Um, But what, so I have seen a bit of kind of, I guess, talk about this and it's not necessarily the most accepted model. I think people are struggling sometimes to, to get on board with it. What, what's some of the conversation that that's going on around this as an approach yeah I mean Twitter is like the worst in every possible way and people just kind of throw mud at each other but like there is a big conflict between those who kind of still kind of use the the cognitivist representational kind of we we construct some kind of symbolized model in our heads and then those who are kind of ecological and kind of adopt more direct perception I actually don't think it matters for coaches. I don't think they need to be that bothered. Um, we still generally coach the same way and use the same tools. So with some of the work we do at Oxford Brooks, one of the modules um, run by a guy called Matt Fiander, um, we basically teach the same content from the two alternate perspectives. And like the bit we get down to is that we've got lots of different words and okay, a fundamental and a philosophical le- level, it's, re- it's, it's completely opposed. It's like a binary opposition. But we still both use small-sided games. We still both use, for different reasons, isolated practice. We still use kind of big game pictures. So I don't think it sh- changes what we're doing as coaches. I just think this kind of whole theory debating that we see on Twitter is a bit childish at times. Coaches who are just kind of coaching as a, a part-time coach and who have a general interest in this stuff will pick up what they like. But I don't think coaches specifically need to say, I am this coach or I'm this coach. With our undergraduate coaches, we say it's probably a good idea that you are because philosophically you're aligned to a certain way and you've got time to understand it at that deeper level. I think the, the risk is that people pick up snippets on social media or Twitter and then run away with those kind of some assumptions and that's what kind of muddies the water a little bit. So if we were think, to think about coaches that might be listening to this then and we've got coaches kind of across the across the scale, a lot of grassroots coaches, I think there will be some elite coaches what are really useful things for them to know um, that could make that could maybe be helpful to them in their practice? So I think the, the biggest one for me personally, so the reason ecological dynamics makes sense to me is that we exist in real time in that environment. So we need to make sure that when we're setting up training designs, we represent or we pre- present or design in the right kinds of information that they're going to see and use in a performance environment, because that's what's going to transfer. So it's the whole, if like, if we're teaching a, a novice how to dribble and we put cones on the floor, the information is the cones. So they're going to look for the cones to go around. But one of our biggest coaching points when teaching them how to dribble is to keep your head up. But we've just completely eradicated that the need for that by placing cones on the floor because we've just asked them to look at the floor. And then you see coaches saying, look up, look up, look up. But the way we've, we've shaped that environment is presenting the wrong kind of information. Um, so, so trying to represent things that are relevant and actually exist, I think is most important. And that doesn't have to look like an 11 v 11 game all the time. We can strip it back to the things that are most relevant. So a lot of, when I used to be a goalkeeper coach, we used to use a lot of coloured tape 
and kind of put tape on different areas of the body or on the ball to help them kind of pick up certain kinds of information. So if we had a goalkeeper or if our theme that worked that week was working on kind of shots from the angle and trying to pick up kind of the trajectory of the ball, if it was spinning or it's dipping, we'd put like kind of a luminous coloured tape on the ball to help the goalkeepers, like youth goalkeepers, pick up the trajectory of the ball, how the ball is spinning, how the ball's moving, so they can start to pick up on that kind of information. So it's just about trying to present things that are going to transfer across domains, presenting information which is most relevant, um, that's going to underpin and support their performance. And I think too many times we forget that and we try to overly or artificially constrain things too frequently. Uh, and we lose some of the nuance of practice. And that's how we're going to get transfers. If we start to learn the dynamics of what's actually going to happen in the performance, we have to, in some way, start to design that into our training designs. So I guess it's a lot of uh, show rather than tell, as in present the environment rather than talk about the environment, because that's something we see a lot of coaches doing as yeah. well. And um, there's nuance to it. There's, 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 like, there's an element of the context we're working in. So and the individuals we have. So if I'm working with young people and we do a lot of work for the Boeing project um, who I work for as well, we, we, want, we want you to be playing and we want them to be exploring and we want them to be active and solving problems and making mistakes and experimenting with different things. So I think, yeah, we would definitely say less and let the environment and how we are active in structuring that environment and shaping that environment. That's where the learning can take place. But I know... On Tuesday, when I go back to preseason, there'll be an element of of more of me saying some stuff and telling them some things, but for different reasons. Not to say that it's, it's not a binary, it's, it's muddled and it's grey and it's in the middle, but I would probably, yeah, put myself more on the side of design really good environments and that will do a lot of really good talking for you. And it means you can just drip in and out with key things or you might direct their attention somewhere. So with goalkeepers, for example, I might set up a really good environment, but they might be struggling to access it. Well, I might just guide their attention of kind of where to look, but not what to see. So they're still having to explore. I've just put a bit of a scaffold in to try to structure that learning environment. And obviously designing environments is something that um, I think all coaches probably want to have more time to do, but some time constraints really restrict that, particularly for, you know, part-time coaches or coaches doing other things what are some of the key principles you might want to think about when you are looking to design say you've got half an hour to to plan your next session what are like the top top things for you to think about oh that's a tough question um so I'd start with what's the game moment you want to work on so if it is attacking from wide areas great well that's our theme and then you almost just got a clip part of the pitch so if, if we're looking at attacking in wide areas, we want to work on that's going to get lots of repetitions. We can't just play an 11 v 11. So I'm going to clip part of the pitch where I'm going to see those interactions happen most often and then try and turn that into a more nuanced session design. So I'd start, I, and it's not necessarily the right way or the wrong way, but I tend to tar- start with the big picture. What's the themes we're working on at the moment? Is there some reactive stuff we need to do? from the game that's just gone is there some proactive stuff that's part of our curriculum uh, and if so well what does that look like on the bigger picture on the pitch and then we start to clip those areas design that into practice so we get the right repetition but it's repetition without repetition so it's there's some variability involved so I might be getting loads and loads of goes at attacking from wide areas 
but the problem is always slightly different because we're going to make sure there's enough variability in there so they're getting lots of goes of doing the same thing but there's different ways of doing it and there's different ways of kind of getting that same outcome and it might be changing where the defenders start it might be changing the number of defenders it might be changing the pass i receive to then attack the wide area or it might be i just start with the ball in the wide area so then just playing around with those components of the of the game which will then give us that variability of that kind of clipped moment that we've taken from the game so let's look back around then to to Ebsfleet. I know you won't want to give all your secrets away, having having just got the job. But um, I suppose, how do you think your research and you know the academic work you do is going to impact how you are as as a coach with the team? What things are you looking forward to seeing within the team that might link to your research? How do the two marry up? So yeah, it's probably. Well, it makes me far too critical and reflective. So I'm, I, I tend to I'd like hammer myself for a lot of my sessions because because I, I have an idea in my head of what the research says is an effective practice, and I go, oh, I moved, I shifted away from that. And I guess it's trying to find a nice balance between research and practice because there's stuff I do which, well, in, in coaching, messy. There isn't a way an answer to coaching, but the, the evidence in coaching is always really murky, and there's not a particular way. A lot of it is around nuance and context. Um, but I guess it just shapes the way I think, particularly the, the ecological dynamic stuff. For me, for me, it's just a way of thinking. And if I think that learning takes place this way and that humans perceive and act and their cognition occurs this way, then I know what my assumptions are around kind of how the world works. And that just shapes my thinking for, for everything. And I guess coaching is part of that. So my interactions are probably more softened as a coach because I'm aware that the the practice designs I'm designing are, 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 can be quite powerful. But then I also know that I need to use a range of interventions. I tend to prefer interventions which are maybe a bit more in, indirect. But then I know that, well, I don't know at the moment, I've not been in yet, but I know at previous clubs, managers I've worked for have been very direct. So and that's then forced me to be even more indirect. Or I've worked with a manager who's not direct at all, and it means like, so yeah, it, it, it's quite messy. I don't know if it my the research academic side translates in a really clear way. I think it's just it, it it's just become how I think and approach this stuff, and it's probably just manifested in my biases and my assumptions and kind of how I view the world. It's a really fluffy answer that's not very helpful. <laughs> no, and you know I'm aware you just got the job yesterday, and I'm like. Give me, give me all your views on it. So no, I think that was that was helpful. Um, so final question, and I'm gonna bring a quote back to haunt you. Um, you, <laughs> I listened to something where you said you had a real dissatisfaction with what coaching was. Um, so I guess my final question for you is, how do you hope that coaching changes and continues to change? Oh, that's it. Big question. Um, I want coaching to professionalise more. I think that'd solve and then probably add a load of new problems. But I think one of the biggest issues we've got is it's possibly one of the biggest workforce workforces that relies entirely on volunteers or extremely poorly paid employees who often have to have second jobs. And I think if we were able to professionalise coaching in some way, ensure people had access to constant or continuous education and mentoring 
they'd have it time to explore things like the debates between ecological dynamics and, and cognitivist approaches. And I think that would be really powerful if all coaches had a grasp of that, grasp of that and understood the nuances of those debates. But it's just not realistic when coaching is largely volunteer-based um, and largely part-time. So I guess professionalising coaching would be huge. And in particular in football, my biggest grumble is how coaches are viewed as just being periphery aspects of clubs. So like we'll spend, we being a hypothetical we, but like clubs will spend thousands of pounds a week on wage budgets for players, but then not pay their staff or pay their staff an absolute pittance. And that for me has been one thing that's always really frustrated me is how coaches are just seen as just being there. And there's perhaps an element of, of that coach's role being an ex-player's role and they just want to stay around and be involved in clubs. But I think until we start taking coaching as seriously as a profession and the fact that it is a science, that there, there needs to be education, there needs to be an evidence base. We need to do a better job of marrying that evidence base and what coaches are actually doing. I don't think coaching will, will ever move forward significantly because coaches need time to invest in this stuff. And, and far too often, too many good coaches kind of dro drop away from coaching because the, the money's poor or their time poor or they're, like, they're neglecting family time. And so until coaching is professionalised, I think it will continue to kind of sit in this more amateur space. And that's where you kind of get those kind of coaching myths and learning myths that academia is so kind of quick to criticise. Um but the space isn't there really for coaches to, to have that kind of professional learning space. And I know there's, there's lots of really good places that are trying to solve that issue, but it's more of a structural and a cultural issue that exists around what coaching is and what coaches are for that I think is one of the limiting factors. That was the voice of Ben Franks. Thanks to Ben for his time and insight. Ben, we wish you the best of luck in your new role at Ebbs Fleet. And thanks to you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. For more from us, join us again next time or visit soccercoachweekly.net for practice plans, advice, interviews and much more. I'm Steph Fairburn. See you again soon. <laughs>